They had no idea that this would be the day they would lose their jobs. No idea when they began to roll through the day. In fact, it seemed, it would seem impossible, a thought that would never occupy their mind because they owned the business. It had been passed down from generation to generation. They had invested years, generation after generation, in in blood, sweat, and tears to, to make this now a reality. They didn't just work at the business, they, they were the business. So the thought or the idea that on this day, they would lose their jobs, seemed completely foreign. Never crossed their mind. The other thing that never crossed their mind is that on this day, their names would go down in history. On this day, what they would experience and what they would be a part of and and what they would do would cause us to talk about them thousands of years later. They did not know that because they would be the first to say yes, the first to sign up, the first to cross the line and say okay, that their names would be so common that parents would name their kids these names. They were the first. Three, Scripture records something happening in Luke chapter 5 that they had no idea. And they would be called to in this moment to decide. Are you going, are you going to trust this Jesus? Or are you going to remain in the comfort of what you've built and what you've known and do what you've done over and over again day after day for years? And this day, they would make a choice that would change every day after that. And they made the choice to trust. Do you ever find it difficult to truly trust God? Our life experience tells us that maybe we shouldn't. If you grow up in church, if you read your Bible, if you talk to those that are Christ followers, you'll quickly be told or you'll quickly read that we are supposed to, in this life, trust God. A a, a level of trust where we give Him our whole lives. But do you ever find that difficult? Does the reality of what you walk through in life ever cause you to push back and wonder, should I trust? Especially in difficult days, it becomes more difficult to trust God, the more uneasy we feel about the future. There's this tension across our culture. And we begin, we begin to play the what if game. My my granddaughter taught me that. Cough in your elbow, cough in your elbow. You scare the crap out of people if you don't cough in your elbow. We begin to play this what if game. What, What if I lose my job? What if I get sick? What if I'm single forever? What if I don't get the house? And we want to trust God. But it's so difficult with all the craziness around us. So today, I'm beginning a brand new series called Made for More. 
Because I believe in this life, you and I are made for more. Now, you might say, hey, I I tried to trust. I've tried that before. It didn't work. But have you ever tried it this way? And so today, we're going to begin with two prayers. And these two prayers have the ability to shape and change how we think. They have the ability to affect how we process life. Two prayers that can change everything about what we process and how we process. Two prayers that no matter who you are, you can pray these prayers. Because they will grow your faith. Because these two prayers will build your trust. These two prayers will consistently give birth to a made-for-more kind of life. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. I've always thought that was hilarious. I mean, sometimes we think about listening to the word of God and we think, okay, listening to the word of God, that's kind of what we're doing this morning. We're listening to the word of God. No, you, yes, but no, you're hearing me read the word of God. We're talking about the word of God. But can you imagine hearing Jesus speak the word of God? My man is talking in red letters. Everything he says is the word of God. And they're captivated by it. They're crowding in around him on this lake on that day. So much so that he's backing up to the water. And his sandals are in the water and his ankles are in the water. And he looks and he notices these boats. They're not coming Because of the miracles. They'd heard about the miracles. Hey, did you hear? Did you hear about the blind guy that now he can see? Man, I don't know. I I wasn't there. I mean, was he really blind? Maybe he's just hard of something. He he couldn't see that well. I mean, was he really blind? I, I don't know if I buy that. I wasn't there. Did you hear about the guy that all of a sudden he could walk? I wasn't there. I wasn't there. We we are skeptical what we don't see and experience for ourselves. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't the miracles. It, it was the teaching. It, it wasn't just what they were hearing with their ears. It's what was speaking to their hearts. The one who created life, the one who life was his idea, the one who knows how best to live life is actually teaching about what life looks like And how to experience a made-for-more kind of life. And these towns were next to each other and people would hear about what was taking place and they would leave their homes and they would leave their offices and the crowd is getting larger and larger and larger and he's backing up to the edge of the water. They're listening to the Word of God. I wonder if Jesus could talk to you today, to me today. The way he did on that way. I mean, not not through somebody, but like literally walk in the room and speak to us. I wonder what he would say. The incredible thing is we know. Because he wrote it all down through people. I mean, can you imagine the crowd listening to Jesus and someone saying to a buddy, this this guy's incredible. Somebody should write this stuff down. This is incredible. This would probably be a bestseller. We, We should make some notes about what he's talking about. One day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him more and more and more and more. 
drawn to not what he could do, but what he was saying, the one who created life, the one who life was his idea, is breaking it down and explaining it. And they're listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. The one who invented life, the one who created sound and sound waves, instinctually knew what you and I have learned, and that is sound travels over water very easily. The one who needed a microphone built a microphone into nature Maybe so that on that day, the people could hear what he had to say. But maybe it wasn't just for that day. Maybe it was for this day. He backs up. Have you ever been camping on the lake? I grew up camping a lot. And I remember times we'd be camping, we'd have our fire there. And from across the water, you hear people talking. You can hear what they're saying because of the way sound travels. Jesus pushes out because he knows people need to hear this. And what he built into nature, he used. And when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Can you imagine being Simon? Simon, who would become Peter, is in the boat. He's washing his nets. He'd been fishing all night and he hadn't caught anything. And this isn't just a hobby. This is his business. I don't know about you, maybe some of you love fishing. I, I'm not a fisherman. I get bored in 1.325 seconds. I, I mean, one time this lady asked us to house sit for her in North Carolina. Uh, we were living in North Carolina at the time, and she said, house sit for me. And by the way, there's a, there's a lake, and I have a little boat, and her husband had passed away, and she said, nobody's fished it. It's really too many fish. I need you all to fish it. And so I was like, all right, we'll give it a shot. We'll go out on the boat. This is not a fish story. This is a true story because I'm not a fisherman, so I wouldn't lie to you. This is not a fish story. Every time our bait hit the water, fish. I'm not kidding. Now, they were about this long. (laughs) But we we caught like 72 fish. And we had those bad boys fillet, like you had to use a toy knife. And, you know, we we figured soup. We could put it in soup. But I'm not a fisherman. But Simon's been fishing, and he didn't close a sail. He didn't make a... He didn't cut a deal, no income, and he's got to go home and tell Mrs. Simon and the family business, I don't know how we're going to pay the bills today. Nothing's happened. And then this teacher comes, and the crowds are coming, and Simon, while he's washing the nets, he's listening, and he's hearing this, and then Jesus looks at him and says, can I borrow your boat? Can you just push out a little bit from shore? And all Simon's got to do, I mean, he's good at this. He's a professional fisherman. He's got to sit there with Jesus sitting in the boat teaching the crowd and make sure he moves those oars in a way that he keeps Jesus facing the people. You don't want Jesus having to teach like this. So you, you got to keep Jesus teaching the people. And all he's doing is looking at the back of the head of Jesus to keep him straight. But when he's looking at the back of the head of Jesus, he's seeing the faces of the people. Some of them he knows. Some of them he's heard their personal stories. Some of them he lives by. He knows their heartache. He knows their struggle. And he can't help as... A little bit of a pull on this oar and a little bit of a twist on this oar. Just keeping that boat steady. Something you and I would feel like an impossibility and it would stress us out. But he's done this for years. So as he's doing that, it just comes naturally to him. And looking at the back of the head of Jesus, noticing the faces, and watching people absorb and take in the word of God from the creator of life about life. 
Jesus closes his sermon, wraps it up, maybe took an offering, I don't know, told people where to text if they want to give. Then, then he turns to Simon and he says, hey, why don't we go fishing? Just go out a little bit deeper and put down the nets for a catch. Why, why don't we do that? And, and, and I love this part of the passage. Simon answered, Master, <laughs> we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Jesus, that, that was an incredible message. I mean, an hour and a half and it felt like 15 minutes. That was profound. And I could see the, the faces of people as your words were impacting them. That was, man, you, you speak like nobody I've ever heard. You're awesome at that. You know what I'm awesome at? Fishing. It's a family business is what I've done. Now, I know, I hear you're a carpenter. You've, you've built a few things. I don't know how often you've fished, but, but you're a carpenter and you're trying to tell me how to do what I do, how, how to do what I live every single day, how to do what I've known my entire life. Great teacher, props to you. But the audacity for you to turn and tell me to, to push the boat out a little bit more and, and go fishing I don't know if you know this, it's almost noon right now, and when you drop a net, like, fish can see the net full on right now. That's why we fish with nets at night. And net goes in the water, and fish say, "Uh uh-uh. And so, this is not going to work. Now, what's interesting, what what you cannot read in the pages of the text, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. In your Bible, in my Bible, there's a period. What we don't know is how long is the pause before the next sentence. Jesus, this, this is not going to work. Great job, but this isn't going to work. Jesus just... And so finally, but because you say so, okay, I will let down the nets. So he glides out a little bit further, and he drops the nets. And after thinking, who are you to tell me how to fish? After thinking what you're saying makes absolutely no sense at all. If, if, if God speaks to you in such a way that it always makes sense, I'm not sure it's God. And maybe part of the reason you and I never get to experience what Simon experienced is because you, you, you cannot splash around in the kiddie pool of life and expect deep faith. He tells him to put out into deeper waters. And the story records, Scripture tells us, he caught so many fish, he had to call his partners to come back out in their boat. So many fish, both boats were so full of fish, they began to sink. Has God ever asked you to do something that doesn't make any sense at all? You are made for more than mediocre. You are made for more than the simple and the mundane. You're made for more than every day looking like the last day. You're made for more than just an existence. And it happens when there are moments in life that our faith can be challenged. When God takes us to the deeper places. When we think it won't work. We know what the experts say. We know what our experience has been our entire lives. This is not possible. It's not going to work. And then... From God, there's silence. Because when Jesus, I mean, when Simon says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, Jesus doesn't go, all right, you're right, all right. That doesn't happen. He waits. 
He waits for the, but because you say so. Could it be that part of the reason you're not hearing him anymore is because he's spoken and you've offered your explanation about how it won't work and now he's just waiting. He's waiting for the, but because you say so in your life. Two prayers. Here's the first prayer. If you want the life that you're made for because you're made for more, if you want to grow your faith and grow your trust in God, here's the first prayer. Lord, help me to obey you even when I don't feel like it and it makes no sense. Lord, help me to obey you even when I don't feel like it and it makes no sense. Simon lets down his nets, not by attitude, but by faith. His attitude wasn't great. Master, we've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. God, I don't get it. I don't understand. But because you say so. I heard one pastor say, you don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. You and I don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. It is often the simple, small acts of obedience that grow our faith and grow our trust in God. The smallest act of obedience can tend to lead to the biggest faith. Lord, help me to obey you even when I don't feel like it and it makes no sense. What has God said to you? What does the word of God say to you that you don't feel like and it makes no sense? How do we grow in this area? How do we experience that made for more kind of life? It won't happen without trusting God. How do we grow trust? Obeying when we don't understand. See, it comes down to a question, and it is a question with an agenda, but it's not my agenda, it's God's agenda. How desperate are you? How much do you really want to hear from God? How much do you really want to know God? How, how big do you want to grow your trust? How, how big do you want your faith to be. Proverbs 3 tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. And the word trust in that verse, it's used in a unique way in the language. It literally means to hold on to and not let go, to, to cling to. And in order to hold on to God, you may have to let go of what you've been holding on to. You cling to the promises of God out of desperation and it builds the trust. Promises where I know, hey, I can cast all my cares on him because he cares for me. You provide all my needs according to your riches in Jesus. You work all things for good. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. When I draw near to you, you draw near to me. The Bible says you're close to the brokenhearted. You save those that are crushed in spirit. You're my refuge and my strength when I'm in trouble. I trust you so I will let down the nets. And I have no idea what the outcome is. But the outcome? The outcome is not your responsibility or mine. Obedience is your responsibility and mine. The outcome is God's responsibility. And notice the text. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Now, we, we, wish, we wish God would work in a completely different way. But notice the when they had done so, the blessing, God moving on their behalf, God working in their lives when they had done so. 
the blessing and the move of God followed the obedience of someone who had questions. <laughs> it wasn't like Simon's like, okay, Jesus, I know you're God. You said, let's go fishing. We're going to catch a bunch. Let's do it. That, that's not, that wasn't his attitude. See, sometimes I think we have to have a, a, a posture and an attitude of obedience before we obey. No, you can obey with a sucky attitude. You can do what God's asking you to do with your questions, with your doubts, with your concerns. You, you can even do what God's asking you to do thinking it might not work out. We've been taught that faith is you just trust and you believe. You believe it's going to work out. Did you know sometimes faith is you can trust without believing? Sometimes faith is you can say, okay, God, I'm going to obey. I don't think this is going to work. But you're God, you said it. But because you say so. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full they began to sink. That, that first prayer, you can start praying this prayer today. I can start praying this prayer today. Lord, help me to obey you even when I don't feel like it and it makes no sense. And here's the second prayer. Oh, this, this, this is going to mess with some of you. Lord, help me surrender control to you. Are you a control freak? I am a control freak. I'm the president of the club. I like to control things. I mean, it, it is something I fight against, something I battle against. As I get older, I, I'm still a work in process. I haven't figured all this out. But Lord, help me surrender control to you. Notice, Simon obeys. Then he sees God do what God can do. He, he falls to his knees as a result and says, Jesus, you don't want to be hanging out with me. He, he realizes in the midst of what happens, who Jesus is. He says, you, you want to be in somebody else's boat, not mine. I, I'm not worthy for you to be riding in my boat. You... What I've done, who I am, where I've been, I, Jesus, I'm, I'm a sinful man. And none of what Simon says shocks Jesus. And none of what you say or where you've been or what you've done or how you've struggled shocks Jesus. He just looks at him and says, from now on, you'll fish for men. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. One of the things that I'm praying the most often is that God would somehow give me the capacity, that, that God would somehow help me as a pastor who cares deeply about you who cares deeply about people who are not here yet that you're going to invite. I think one of the things that God wants to do in our lives, and I'm asking God to help me somehow through his spirit because I don't have the ability personally, is help lead you in a way that you step out of fear. Don't be afraid. Do you know how many times the Bible says, don't be afraid? And I'm concerned that in all that we're walking through, listen, those words were written down. God was not shocked or caught off guard by what happened in 2020 or 2021. God is not thinking, I need to rewrite the Bible. I need to take all the do not be afraid out of the Bible. God is not flabbergasted at what's taking place. Perhaps part of the issue is we spend so much time feeding our fear and starving our faith where we live captivated by fear. And when you're afraid, I don't care what you do in life. When you're afraid, Bill, 
I was just talking to Alex. You take the biggest wrestler, the strongest wrestler, and you put him in a ring where he's afraid and he's going to lose every time. I talked to Coach Buckridge a few moments ago. He pulled up as I was getting out of the car. We talked about the football season. and We were talking about this idea of fear. I, I, I don't care. You can have the biggest, strongest offensive lineman. You put him in a game when he's afraid, he's useless. And one of the things I think the enemy is doing is crippling the church, crippling Christ followers with fear. We don't know what to do, what to believe, where to go, how to go, what to wear, how to function, who to trust. Because we're looking like this for trust instead of looking like this. And we're captivated with fear. We're drowning in fear. We're sinking in fear. Maybe, maybe, maybe perhaps if we would stop feeding fear and start feeding our faith, maybe if the doctor that we listen to the most often was Dr. Luke, it might help our faith grow a little bit where it's not a kind of denial of what's happening. Things are real and they've gotten real. It's not some kind of delusional living where we pretend nothing's wrong. No, there are things that are wrong. It's just that our God is bigger and our God is not shocked by it. And the same God that wrote, do not be afraid over 365 times, meant it every single time for your life and my life, even today, even right now. And so when you, when you pray these prayers, Lord, help me to obey even when I don't feel like it and it makes no sense. Lord, help me surrender to control to you. You, you can't control what's happening right now. I don't care what you wear or where you go or what you've been stuck with. You can't control what's happening right now. So are you going to let fear cripple you and take your life away? Or are you going to function in wisdom but trust God? Then Jesus said to him, don't be afraid. I think God is trying to say to us over and over again, don't be afraid. Are things scary? Yeah, in some ways. But don't be afraid. And by the way, this won't be the last time. As we navigate this and we move into the future, this won't be the last time that life is scary. But may I remind you, neither is it the first time that life's been scary. People walk through fear and scary things all the time. Masses have gone through scary things all the time. And it is in these moments that the church, trusting God, loving God, and loving people, being unified around loving God and loving people, not dividing and categorizing and labeling, and it's those people's fault and those people's fault. No, we live in a broken world. But there's a big God who calls the church to be the church and to love God and love people. And God loves every single person you disagree with as much as he loves you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people, and you can't fish for people you hate. You won't fish for people you disagree with, that you allow that to cause bitterness and resentment in your life. You don't fish for people you blame. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Everything included their nets. Everything included what had been their security, and their provision. So what are your nets? Where do you look for security and provision? Now, now notice with the nets, 
he said, let down the nets for a catch. With the nets, they let them down before they laid them down. You've got to develop a pattern of obedience of letting down what God, God calls you to, to let down so that you can then lay it down and walk away from it if he calls you to do that. Because there is no greater security, there is no greater provision than what God can do in your life and mine. And sometimes, especially in difficult days, we, we, we look at our job or our income or, or our connection of friends. We, we, we look at the things that we've relied on as security and provision. Your greatest security and provision will come from God. And so we get to the place where we say, okay, God, I surrender control to you. I surrender my plans to you. I surrender my life to you. I surrender my relationships to you. I'm not just letting down what makes me feel secure. I'm not just letting it down. I'm laying it down. Lord, help me surrender control to you. And it's essential. If you want to experience more trust and bigger faith, you think we could use more faith in the days in which we live? I... I, I'm not talking about fairy tale land where we smile and we act like everything's fine and we ignore realities. That's not faith. And and I've met and you've met some highly religious people that are little wackadoodle-doo that function like that. And those people we tend to push back, but in pushing back, sometimes we push back from a truth that's underneath that they're just practicing in a wrong way and, and it's not really beneficial. And because of that, we miss the truth. I'm talking the kind of faith that stands up and stares big monsters right in the eyes. I'm talking about the kind of faith that recognizes I will function in wisdom and do everything that I can. I'm going to trust God and I will not allow myself to be impacted or influenced by an enemy who loves to divide people and it's what he's always done. I'm going to love God and I'm going to love people. And by the way, by the way, by the way, I've been accused a couple of times of of making political statements sometimes. I don't know if you've ever felt that. Um, Let me me help you for a second. I I just want to be really, really clear because I had a couple of conversations this week. I will not stoop to the level of politics. I am not making political statements. I'm making spiritual statements. If you hear spiritual statements as a political statement, that is your problem because it's how you think. It is no part of my motivation at all because I don't care what party you say yes to or what you think about different issues. There is one God and I'm not relying on any human being to be my savior or our savior. This is not political. This is spiritual. I'm saying to the family of God, to followers of Jesus, trust God. Trust God more than you trust anybody or anything else. Spend time with God. Stop feeding fear. Start feeding faith. Spend time with God and grow your faith where, yes, you function in wisdom, but you don't walk around cowering to every little thing you hear on somebody's news channel where people are trying to scare the ever-loving daylights out of you. That's just my statement about political stuff. (laughs) It's amazing. No, I'm not going to say it. It's amazing. It's, a, it's amazing to me sometimes what people hear. But, and sometimes I do say things wrong. Sometimes I do. Like, I, I know, I know, I don't like it, but I know that, that God loves even the New York Giants. I know it, but sometimes. So, so the question, the question, here's the question. Are you desperate for him? Do you really want to experience the more that God created your life to experience? You've got to trust him. Trust is not a feeling that I have. 
Trust is a deliberate decision of my will to say, I'm going to lean into this even if I don't feel like it. I'm going to believe this even though I have questions at the same time. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to try this even though I've tried it before. I, I'm going to trust. I'm making the deliberate decision to trust God, to crave Him and to seek Him. How do you crave God? You begin to seek Him. If you want more of God, man, begin the pursuit. He's pursuing you, but are you spending time with Him? And by the way, I'm talking about trusting God. But I think you're alive today as a follower of Jesus, alive at this time specifically in history, because God believes he can trust you. We are the people that get to navigate what we're walking through right now. Before the beginning of time, we are the people that God said, you're going to be on planet Earth right now, and I want you, even in the midst of this, love me and love others. See, in this life, you do not always have the power to control, but in this life, you do always have the power to surrender. You don't always have the power to control, but you always have the power to surrender. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So so I don't know what you've been trusting in, but maybe you need to let it down so you can lay it down. Maybe you need to begin to pray these two prayers. Because some of you, you've, you've, you've been trusting for a while and you're growing weary. And I'm trying to trust God. It just doesn't seem like there's any progress, any momentum. It doesn't seem like where I'm trusting Him is being resolved or worked out. I'm, I'm struggling and I'm, I'm weary and I'm, I'm trying to trust. I'm, I'm trying to hold on. Let, let, me, let, me, let me ask you a question. When did this miracle take place? They'd, they'd fished all night and hadn't caught anything. This miracle took place at the end of overwhelming frustration. That means you keep trusting because it's not over. That means God is still God in your life. And this morning is just a reminder to your heart and a reminder to my heart that in the midst of chaos, in the midst of calamity, in the midst of... You know, one thing I've learned about people over the years being a pastor, everybody's got an opinion. Have you noticed? Everybody's got an opinion. What what if we became more passionate about loving Jesus and loving people than our biggest opinions? So what is your... What is your... God, I've been doing this, this, and this. But because you say so, I will. What is it for you? All the excuses you've offered, all the things that you've argued about, all the reasons that you've discounted what the Word of God says, all all the things that you've pushed back. What is your God? This is where I am. But... Because you say so. I'm not even sure I believe it, but because you say so. I don't even think it'll work, but because you say so. I've tried that a thousand times, but because you say so, I will. And watch how it changes. Your thinking. Your perspective. Your relationships. Your finances, your parenting, your education, friendships. 
Because if we don't learn, especially in these days, to trust God, to trust God, to allow God to grow our faith, this is, this is the breeding ground for big faith. If we don't learn that now, we'll never learn it. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you so much for who you are. God, I pray for every person in this room this morning. That your spirit would just remind us that you are God. You are in us. You are with us. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. And you're just as big a God in difficult days, in concerning days, in scary days, as when life's good. Father, may we be a people that trust you, that love you, that love others. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you know that the biggest need in your life is to know God in a personal way. If that's where you are, I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. Just pray, dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, today, I give you my life. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, look at me. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love to know it. You can shoot me a text. Just send your first name to 407-487-8311. 407-487-8311. Shoot that text to me. I'd love to be able to pray for you today by name and throughout the week. I'll get that list this afternoon. This week, know that I am praying for you. I am for you. I am with you. And I'm trusting God to work in your life and my life. And let's walk into this week loving God and loving people.